Welcome to Over the Rainbow, a safe space and voice for all queer identities. I'm your host, Rachel Keithley, and I use she, her pronouns. Every Wednesday, we bring you new episodes dedicated to queer representation, education, and activism. Today's guest is Liz Hunter. Liz uses she, her pronouns. Today, Liz and I are talking about one of our favorite topics, books. So we delve into the world of queer literature. We talk a little bit about the history of queer lit, and how we can continue to diversify our own bookshelves, as well as talking about our hopes for the future of Quillet. We also recommend some of our favourite books for you to read. Okay, let's get on with the show. How are you? Welcome to Over the Rainbow. Oh, thank you for having me. How are you? I am very good, thank you. Would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners? So your name, pronouns, a bit about what you do? Yeah, so my name is Elizabeth Hunter and my pronouns are she slash her. And um, I do a bit of everything. (laughs) I work as a journalist, so I work in TV news and I'm also pretty active on social media. I used to run a book blog back in the day, but now I'm primarily on YouTube and social media, I share a lot about my life story. And then I talk about books a lot. So a lot of people ask me for book recommendations all the time. And then I'm a bit of a writer. And within the next 18 months or so, we're going to have some book news that I can't publicly share yet, but hopefully circle back and I'll have book related news to share with the world. Oh, that's very exciting. We'll absolutely stay tuned. And I love how topical this is because we're talking about queer literature today. So this is why I came to you because I was like, go-to person on books. <laughs> yes, I feel like I I have like a varied reputation on the internet, but books is one of my like favorite parts of my internet reputation. Yes, amazing. But before we kick off and talk about queer literature, let's start by sharing something we've done this week to engage in queer education or activism. So do you want to go first or shall I? I can, I guess I can go first. So um, this week I was talking a lot about on Instagram uh, about trans rights issues in the U.S. because there's um, a lot of backlash to the Department of Ed said that trans kids were a protected minority in public schools and 22 states filed a lawsuit against that. So I was just sharing some education about that lawsuit because I think it's important that we see like when we celebrate wins at the Supreme Court or in our local communities that there's a constant battle for people's rights. So I think that's an important topic that I kind of brought up on social media. And um, yeah, I think that that's like something that I looked forward to sharing this week and that I did, so. Yeah, that's amazing as well. And it's it's so good that you're using your platform to educate people because I don't know, I think we take for, take for granted sometimes that particularly trans rights are just, they're just so far behind. Like gay rights, we're very privileged as, gay people I mean obviously there are lots wrong in our countries you're in the US I'm in the UK but it is like people's gender is always up for debate in this country as well and it's absolutely horrible to see yes yeah and it's something that you can't really let your guard down on because whether I feel like in my state there's always people pushing to pass these laws in the dead of night and if we're not calling and lobbying our reps to not pass these bills, they will try to ban trans kids from sports 
and they're they are very loud with their activism and they do not they're not afraid to be bigoted so we have to put pressure on them to stop it in its tracks so it is a constant battle isn't it it's horrible but that was a great example um for mine i'm keeping this one on topic and i'm talking about a book i'm reading so for my book club which is reading the rainbow for those of you who don't know um we're currently reading female husbands by jen mannion and it's basically the synopsis of 18th and 19th century cultural history in in britain and the us detailing the lives of folk who were assigned female at birth but later transitioned to present as male. And they became known as female husbands when they entered into marriages with cisgender women. Um, and because it's a historical book, the author is very careful not to misgender anyone, as we don't know if they're trans, non-binary, gender fluid, or just chose to present as male for other reasons. But it's an absolutely fascinating insight into the lives of queer folk hundreds of years ago and the ways that society like historically viewed gender, sexuality and relationships. So, yeah, I've been talking about that. I've been learning a lot myself about historical context of gender, and I would definitely recommend it for everyone because it is actually a really good book. I just wrote it down. I'm going to have to go look that up. So October is LGBTQ History Month. I don't know if that's international or just here in the States. So I've been like checking out all these books from the library to like read and then I don't know if I'm gonna read them all in time, <laughs> but I wanna recommend them. And so I wanna read most of them first. So I, I just wrote that one down. I'm gonna have to look it up and see if it's in my library. So well, yeah, if it is, you'll have to let me know how you found it. <laughs> yes, yeah. Awesome. Well, let's segue nicely into today's topic, which is talking about queer literature. So I guess the question I want to start by asking you is, why is queer literature so important? Well, I think literature in general in the world of stories and nonfiction and fiction is so important that we see all of ourselves represented. And for LGBTQ minorities, it's like really important to see characters and the lived experience on page. And the way that I discovered my sexuality was reading queer lit and realizing that I connected to these characters and the acceptance that I saw on page is something that I craved in real life, as well as the like things they went through as characters is some is something that I feel a lot of authors write real lived experiences into the story and address topics that are so important that maybe we don't see represented very often. And queer lit is something that you could have a book that doesn't have like a cover that screams that it's gay and some child at middle school or high school or even me in college, I could pick up and read that book and no bigoted person walking by would know that I was reading a story that was so important to me. Whereas like movies and TV shows can be more, I feel can be censored in a harsher ways and a lot of young kids don't have access to them. Where queer lit is something that is accessible and is important for that to just exist for all of us to experience and to share our stories. Yeah, I love that. I think that's such a great synopsis of why it's so important. And I don't know about you, but for me, like getting lost in literature is it's always something I resonate with far more than TV shows. I love a good LGBTQ plus TV show, but I often feel like it's detached from the world I see myself in. Whereas a lot of queer literature that's coming through now, it is like, I don't know, you just see yourself or parts of yourself and it is just so helpful on your journey, whatever stage you're at. Yeah, for, for sure. And I feel like TV shows tend to be hyper-focused on like maybe the sexuality of the characters and not like the normal everyday life. And I sometimes I watch a TV show and that is like beyond what I would ever experience. And maybe that's too much, like it's for entertainment 
instead of like storytelling maybe I mean storytelling is entertainment but I feel like queer lit can be like real topics that all of us have been through and maybe don't just address like the drama of a teenage life that a tv show can focus on yeah it often feels like very exaggerated doesn't it which isn't always what you want to see when you're trying to find where you fit in the world yeah exactly so how can we use language or how is language used in queer literature and in what way is that important for our representation I feel like a lot of authors are very clear in what kind of representation they're able to write I'm thinking of like Mason Deaver and Mason Deaver one of Mason Deaver's first books they have a non-binary character dating a cisgender character and I feel like the language that was one of my first experience reading about a, a non-binary character and just learning and how this non-binary character expressed themselves and maybe I don't think I'd ever met a non-binary person in person at the point that I was reading Mason Deaver's writing and just how the language was used and how they claimed their pronouns and reclaimed their name and identity was something that really impacted me and developed empathy for me to understand non-binary experiences. And then the next book that Mason Deaver is coming out with, actually, I think it's their third book. I've heard that it's both main characters are trans. And that's one of the first characters in YA books that will have two trans characters in a relationship as the focal point for the story. And I feel like that language and just having characters who espouse their identities on page is incredible representation. Yeah. And I think I don't know how you feel about this, but I feel like there's no room for misinterpretation as well with books. Like sometimes it's like glossed over in the TV shows and films and media. It's not explicitly said that this is a queer character, which sometimes is a good thing. You know, we don't always have to be there holding placards, but I do really like that form of education that you can get through the written word as well. Yes, and it, it's a story and it's also educational, but the point is not for education. It's just, it's supposed to be a story. And if it educates, that's an amazing part of the story. Yeah. Um, so in what ways has literature evolved to represent the queer community over time? So I actually did some little research for this question because I was kind of curious, like the history of queer lit and I focus more, I should say, I focus a lot on Western young adult books because that is what I have read the most. I've read some translated books and of course there's a great diversity in young adult literature, but I don't, I haven't read as much adult lit as I have YA because it's what I write and what I read and this, the community I developed over the years. So some of the first YA books that you can see starting to have YA characters who are queer. It starts in the 1950s and it kind of follows the culture. And a lot of those characters had sad endings and they were kind of written off the page. So someone died or a parent passed away and it could, and perhaps for a person who was reading it, they could either see themselves in the story as an LGBTQ person, but there was always like a negative side effect of being queer. And one of the first books that did not have a negative side effect is Annie on my mind and that book was actually banned because the, there was like an actual happy ending to that story and I think that book came out I know it was banned in the 1990s in public schools and I don't remember all of the years like as more queer writers are writing but I know that Annie on my mind was one of the very first like books to have a happy ending and it kind of broke through starting in the 1990s you start having more writers um, write stories that have not tragic endings and I feel like it kind of follows the same history in film and 
when you first put in queer characters, they were like, they had to be, like they had to be punished for their sexuality in a way. And as you get into the 2000s, as society becomes more accepting, people can be more out and proud in their queerness in the written word and on film. And I, today, I feel like there's such a great diversity. I feel like I'm never gonna be able to read all of the queer books that come out every year. There are so many. And yeah, that's a little history, but um, yeah. And that of course is more US-based and Western-centric because that's where I found books, so. I definitely feel like the UK uh, history of queer literature is very similar. And I think it tracks the same path of gaining our rights. So decriminalization of homosexuality was around the 1960s in the UK. I should have double checked that, but it definitely was 1960s. And then obviously we've had uh, gay marriage, not completely equal marriage, but gay marriage in 2014, 2013, around then. Um, but that is really where you see queer literature really taking off is when it's not being censored anymore by the very fact of it being illegal to just be. <laughs> yes. Now we still have we still have troubles with people like trying to ban it in schools. Uh, there was a book the other, I can't, I can't, for some reason the book is escaping my mind, but there's a book I read by Lev Rosen, who's a really great writer and I really love his book. And there's public schools in one of the states, I think it's Texas or Arizona, that's trying to ban it for graphic material. And there's nothing graphic in the story. It's just a, a queer teenager who's very open about his sexuality and his relationships and you have pushback against that. So I feel like queer authors are some of the most banned, but that's not just queer authors. There's a lot of authors who write like stories that are centered around the Black Lives Matter movement, like Angie Thomas, her books get banned. And it's not because they're graphic or they're too mature for students. It's simply people pushing back against topics that are important for kids to read because they're uncomfortable with those ideas. Yeah, and they definitely, they don't want to poison in inverted commas their children's minds do they with the fact that other identities exist exactly yeah it's definitely a common I know here in the UK it's now mandatory for LGBTQ plus relationships to be taught in schools as part of your education it can't be we spoke about this on a podcast episode that was out this week actually with sex theory with Demi um but it can't just be like an afterthought and oh by the way queer relationships exist you need to teach it properly like you would teach heterosexual relationships um so I think we're also seeing movements where queer literature is coming into our schools but obviously there are always people saying oh no I don't want my kids seeing that it's going to make them gay and I think that's often one of the biggest criticisms of queer literature isn't it that it somehow has this power to make people quit <laughs> which is not true just because you read about something in a book does not make you become that thing and it's just exposing your children to or I feel like children are going to be exposed to queer identities outside of literature and whether you can't protect them from everything and you don't need to and giving them a healthy way to learn about an identity in like literature and media is much better than trying to hide them away from it yeah I couldn't agree more and you did touch a little bit on how it isn't just necessarily queer literature that's been banned and censored, but any literature talking about Black Lives Matter, gender, race, etc. So would you say that literature is truly diverse yet, whether it's queer or talking about race, or is there still a long way we need to go? We're definitely a long way from reaching like diversity. I think some there's studies that, that, that delve into like in the last 20 years, 
you know, what percent of books being published were published by BIPOC authors or LGBTQ authors. And it's really actually kind of heartbreaking. I think I saw a study the other day and my stats could be wrong, but it's definitely less than 20% over the last 20 years has been published by Black, Indigenous, people of color and LGBTQ authors. And we're, we see a lot of white authors in queer lit. And as a white person myself, I would never want to like take the place of a BIPOC author, but it's not a competition. There's room for all of our stories, but elevating and telling the stories of BIPOC creators and also people outside of the West in um, the Southeast, Southeast Asia and Africa and the global South at large, there's a lot of stories that are not told. And I feel like it's so important that we share the stage with them and that we give access to their stories being told, whether it's like highlighting bloggers who are reviewing books and giving them advanced reader copies or giving access to authors from these global South countries that are not Western-based. Like you have book festivals that went online during the pandemic. And, and, and I think that would create a great opportunity for authors who cannot travel to the United States for book festivals to promote their books, to give them the opportunity to come onto an online space and promote their writing and their stories. And I think that's something that needs to continue past 2021 and 2022 as the world fully reopens, that we need to give the space and platform to people who aren't, don't have access to the resources that we might have here in the West. And so that was a really long answer, but like diversity is something that we constantly have to push for. And just if you, if you notice in like your Instagram feed or whatever social media platform that you're on, if it's all one gender identity or all one ethnic identity, I would always encourage you to like diversify your feed and also diversify your bookshelves. And for me personally, when I recommend books, I'll notice if I've only recommended white authors and um, that's like a moment for me to like pause and think, okay, why haven't I read like an a book by a BIPOC author or identities that are not just like the LGBTQ, like lesbian, bisexual, gay, or trans, but like non-binary identities and asexual and pansexual and just, and also disability rep. Like there's so many stories out there that exist and just because it's not like the top 10 you see on TikTok and you know there's those there are books that are very very popular like they call it a book talk or Instagram or bookstagram and YouTube and they're the same 10 books that are constantly talked about but you can always expand your shelves and expand it with diversity too to in order to air authors beyond what the same kind of books that we see over and over again. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's definitely something that I found when I've looked for book recommendations for myself, just Googling them. And like you said, it's different sites are recommending exactly the same books. And I think often we fall into echo chambers of only seeing ourselves or books that identities that we haven't, like that resonate with us are popping up and they're getting pushed to the top. And anyone whose identity is more marginalized is not spoken by it's just like left at the wayside so I definitely agree that we need to really focus on amplifying all voices because like you said it doesn't just have to be that we have like one token book on gender identity one token book on a non-binary person one token book on a disabled person like there is room for all those books for multiple identities to be represented it doesn't have to be just one exactly yeah and it's not like it's sad when I see the same book represented like recommended over and over and over again they're like oh what's a non-binary book or you know a sapphic book and they recommend the same oh like I'm looking for a black sapphic book or I'm looking for a sapphic book about you know Native American 
identities or whatever it be. And the same kind of book is, re is recommended over and over again. But if you go to a person in that community and you ask a non-binary BIPOC person, like what books do you recommend? You're going to have a lot more diversity because it's their stories and they're going to share more. So like, don't just ask like white creators for their book recommendations, like look at the shelves of other people. And I mean, the shelves, like look at their resources, like whether it's youth books, I follow a lot of booktubers and a lot of people on like um, Instagram and YouTube who recommend books. And I love seeing recommendations from people who read totally di differently from me and maybe not the same genres because they're going to have a wider experience of authors they've encountered. And it's going to represent their experience in life beyond my own. Yeah, that's a great suggestion. Thank you for that. Um, so we've talked about the fact that particularly within coronavirus and the pandemic, queer literature is becoming more accessible, accessible, sorry, because things have been pushed online. But obviously, accessibility is a multi-layered need. There are people in countries where it's illegal to be queer, or there's people who, like you said, just smacked my microphone, um, don't have access to books if they're from like Southeast Asia, they may not have access to the same books that we do. So how do we make queer literature more accessible for everyone? And I guess a sub-question from that, where can folks find queer literature? So I have always been very active on book Twitter. And I actually, I used to have two Twitter accounts, one that was just book Twitter. And I ended up deleting that. And I only have one account because I could not keep up with all the conversations on book Twitter. And there was always that question of accessibility. And a lot of people push back on the idea of you know, have you, your eBooks that are illegally downloaded and then you have libraries and then you have books for sale. And here in the West, we really judge people who read books that are illegally downloaded. But I don't think I should ever judge a person in Southeast Asia or in the global South for reading a book that they found online because they don't have access to libraries and bookstores and just the accessibility of books is so different in other people's experiences than my own. And I do say, if you live in a country that you have accessibility, like you can access books easily, like don't legally download them. Like I personally would never do that because that's how authors make money. And like, I know as a creator, it's so hard to get properly reimbursed for your work. So, but I also would never judge someone who doesn't have a library or a bookstore in their hometown and who has, and can't even buy it like online because they don't have a Kindle like access, like I know there are books on the Kindle web store that I can't buy because they're based in the UK and the same, like there are books that come out in the UK before the US and there's no way a person in the US can get them and vice versa. But just imagine that on like a broader scale because you have the global, like the entire globe is so different and the accessibility is a completely different story in so many different countries. So I think we should have a lot more empathy for people and how they find access to books. And another thing when I comes to accessibility in the US and in the West is what kind of books kids are allowed to pick up. If you have a book that's very openly queer and you have two queer characters on the cover who are obviously in a LGBTQ relationship, some parents will not allow their child to get that book. So you can always recommend books that don't have an obviously queer cover or blurb on the back. And I just saw the other day on TikTok, someone made a thread, like a thread of videos. I think they had like five videos of books that did not overtly look queer on the outside. And they said, if you want to like borrow this book from the library, like these are books that my parents didn't realize were queer and that I bought and that I read that had marginalized identities in the story. And my parents had no idea. And that was safe for her as a reader that would, so sometimes that is the experience of readers. And there are definitely books out there that um, are not overtly queer, but contain LGBTQ identities. 
I love that. And I think something I've found in terms of accessibility, certainly in the UK, I'm, I assume you're probably going to have something like this because I saw that you posted on your story today or yesterday that someone had paid in advance for your Starbucks order. Oh, yes. Yeah. We're now doing that with like queer books and queer literature in uh, bookshops. So people can say, oh, I'd like to donate £10, um, put it into a pot so that someone who isn't able to afford books, because books can be quite pricey. They can be, yes. Yeah, can just contact the bookshop and say, oh, please, can I um, use the sort of pay it forward scheme? Or they just have other ways of fundraising. And I think that that's really great because money should never be a reason why you can't access literature. Like you said, if people are only able to access books because they're illegally downloading them, then at least they're downloading them and they're able to read these stories. Yeah, and I used to see these conversations on book Twitter. Like every three months, someone would make a whole bunch of tweets like, arguing about it and it was so pointless like why are we spending our time attacking readers for getting access to books when we should just be supporting readers across the globe because all of our experiences are so different like unless you walk in their shoes you shouldn't attack the way that they gain books in my opinion so I just think that the conversations online can be really harmful and not very they're not expanding access by just arguing about how people gain access to books yeah. And also we're talking about reading queer literature. We're not talking about getting illicit drugs or, you know, <laughs> yes. something that's actually yeah. probably quite bad. <laughs> yes, exactly. And it's like such a small, I, I understand like authors want to be paid for their work, but that's a the book, the book publishing industry, which is huge, needs to address that, not the readers themselves. Yeah, Exactly. Um, so how can queer people use literature, whether that's fiction or nonfiction, to cope with or resist oppression and, I guess, to educate on identity? That is a really broad question. <laughs> I feel like it, up, it's uh, I feel like it's up to each individual. Like when you see yourselves in stories, it, it becomes a form of liberation because you realize you're not alone in the world. And I feel like writing the way that queer writers have written books in order to express their own liberation is an important aspect of queer lit and something that we can often overlook in the liberation that the authors themselves find. And I think um, the community that develops over with readers enjoying books is another part of liberation. And that as we tell each other stories and we develop empathy for other people, we build a broader movement of folks who understand where we're all coming from. So I think that's an important side of Queerlit is the community that is built over, like what, like you said, you have a book club. And as you educate each other and learn, then you develop a broader understanding of the queer experience and what that means for people across the world. Yeah, I think that's an absolutely great answer. And that is possibly my favorite thing about book club was the conversations that have been started, the different experiences that have been brought to the table, people challenging the way I've seen the world to be like, hey, look at it through these this person's eyes and look at this and look at why this is problematic or why this should be celebrated. And it's just, it is one of the best ways to educate yourselves and others on just life experiences. I absolutely love it. For sure, <laughs> yes. Um, finally, I feel like this is a question that you could probably write an entire book on yourself, but I, I'm going to ask you for some of your favorite queer book recommendations and then I'll give some of my own. <laughs> Oh my goodness, I have so many. Uh, I have a whole shelf on, I used to have it on Goodreads, but now I'm on StoryGraph because I was trying to like move away from Amazon-owned products. But there are so many great queer books out there. 
some of my favorites. Um, Casey McQuiston is one of my favorite authors. And so she wrote Red, White, and Royal, Royal Blue. <laughs> I love that book so much. And then One Last Stop, and her, their next book is coming out next summer. And I'm so excited. It'll be their first official YA book. And I follow their Instagram. So we're like on day four out from their cover reveals. I'm like so excited. And then um, You Should See Me in a Crown is another amazing one. And I love that all of that author's books. I, I'm trying to think of the author's name. It's like slipped the top of my head. I should have like written down these books so that I could not misidentify the authors. But let me look the author up really quick. No problem. And we'll also pop them all in the show notes for everyone so they can. Oh, okay. Um, you should see me in a crown by Leah Johnson. And Leah Johnson writes black queer love stories that are like centered on, like they have hard topics, but they have happy endings. Cause I feel like a lot of love stories throughout history that have been written about black people maybe have not had a happy ending. And I just love Leah Johnson's energy and her books. They're so good. Um, there's so many great ones out there. I love Phil Stamper. And he wrote The Gravity of Us, and he's written a couple others. He has a book coming out next summer. Phil Stamper is this great. And Becky Albertalli, who wrote The Love, Simon, all those books. Um, Leah on the Offbeat, and What If It's Us with Adam Silvera. Love their stories. I should also recommend, like, adult books, because I feel like I recommend so many YA. So Taylor Jenkins Reid wrote The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo, and that's a fantastic one. And then I read Detransition Baby by Tori Peters this summer, and that is a trans, it's like about three trans women, and it's written by a trans author, and it is complicated, but it is really good. Oh, and Last Night at the Telegraph Club by Melinda Lowe, I read, that is probably one of my favorite books of 2021. It's a historical fiction book set in the 1950s in San Francisco about this Chinese girl who's like growing up on the like dawn of the like gay rights revolution and I just that book was incredible absolutely phenomenal um so yeah those are just a few I could go on and on literally for hours talking about queer books I mean we'll we'll all go read those and then we'll get back to you when we finish with those and get some more yes, let's yeah. do that yeah uh but for myself I've got three so I loved Loveless by Alice Oseman that's um all about it's a coming of age story going to university and exploring your asexuality and aromanticism and it is phenomenal I absolutely love it um I also read this is how you lose the time war by Amal El Mota and Max Gladstone and I did not know that that book was queer when I started reading it and it's it's incredible it's very subtly queer it's just it's so different from things I usually read I don't tend to read sort of like science futuristic type fiction but loved it and I've just read Girl Woman Other by Bernadine Evaristo and that's all about black queer women in London in well mainly in England they do go a bit further abroad some of them move to America and just follows their journeys and their lives and they're all interconnected in some way and it's that's a really really powerful book as well because it deals with sexuality race religion things like that so they are brilliant um so yeah hopefully everyone can go and enjoy those books and definitely tell us how you what you think of them uh, Alice Osmond's Heartstopper and actually both Loveless all of Alice Osmond's books are on like on the top of my I want to read them and then Heartstopper is coming out as a tv show eventually I don't really know the release date for that so I need to read the Heartstopper graphic novels in or before the tv show comes out I'm really looking forward to those because they're very queer and I am excited for the tv show 
Yeah, I don't know how long we'll have to wait either. I know that they just did a read through. They've done read throughs in the past couple of weeks for the scripts. So I think that's that's the stage they're at. So I don't know how long it takes to film things. I have no idea. No, hopefully <laughs> next year. Who knows? Hopefully sometime. <laughs> okay, and last question for you. Um, where does the future of queer literature lie? And what would you like to see the future of queer literature looking like? I just think continuing to expand the authors and the genre. I feel like there are so many stories out there that we could see on the page. And I'm excited for that. I'm excited to see young emerging authors um, who have you know, been readers for the last decade starting to write their own stories. I'm also excited to see people who maybe don't publish a book before they're 30, who are maybe older authors, we don't get their stories into because they've been working for years and years and they publish later in life. And I don't, I think we should elevate those, like you don't have to be under 30 to get published. You can be whatever age. And I'm excited to see their books. I know there's going to be a lot of authors out there who will come. There's so many new authors coming out and every day I feel like there's another announcement for another debut novel. And I think self-publishing and indie publishing is going to continue to grow. And I am so thrilled about that because there's so many authors who they haven't been able to break into traditional publishing because selling queer lit and traditional publishing is incredibly hard. But I feel like access to indie and self-publishing is growing. So I'm excited to see the diversity grow in that field and just continuing to share our stories and to see readers impacted and kids get getting books in their hands. I feel like it's so important. So yeah, I'm excited. I feel there's so much excitement on the internet for queer books with you know TikTok taking off and so many book recommendations coming from there and books hitting the New York Times bestseller like the Song of Achilles that came from TikTok like the energy of TikTok brought that book back to the New York Times bestseller list which is phenomenal to see and as those kind of platforms gain a foothold and larger impact in the industry I I think we'll see more diversity and more books shared as readers get excited over them so that's what I'm looking forward to. That is a great answer. I personally am also looking forward to just seeing other people's stories and seeing them given the platform to tell their stories. Yes. I feel like I know so many people right now who are writing, especially like people I follow on Instagram or TikTok or just know of that are writing. And I'm like, they're going to come up with a book in the next five years. And I am excited for it. Yeah. Ready to read it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And before we end, I just want to tell everyone about your amazing poster behind you because it's just so phenomenal no one's gonna be able to see it but it says books fall open you fall in and I just think that is exactly it I love getting lost in queer literature (laughs) yeah it's a very true statement yeah well thank you so much for today well thank you for having me and thank you for letting me talk about something so happy and that I love to chat about yes we love a lot of queer joy so thank you thank you so much for listening today New episodes are available every Wednesday, so please do download, share, and hit that subscribe button so you don't miss a thing. If you have any questions or feedback, please contact the podcast on social media. We are on Instagram at at underscore over the rainbow podcast, Twitter at over rainbow pod, and Facebook at over the rainbow podcast 13. Have a queer week and I'll see you next Wednesday. Thank you.